You are listening to the sermon podcast of International Lutheran Church in Seoul, South Korea. I'm Pastor Chuck Hoffman. I've had the chance to visit quite a few different churches, maybe dozens, maybe even over a hundred, I'm not quite sure. And many of these churches I've noticed have a portrait of Jesus somewhere. Uh, We have one here at ILC, it's in the Bible study room. Uh, Often these pictures are in basements church fellowship rooms, Sunday school classrooms, pastor's offices. You find them here and there. Many of these portraits show a very gentle Jesus. He's often a little bit fuzzy, slightly out of focus, with a softness shown in his eyes. His hair is gently waving down over his shoulders. Uh, His blue eyes are often looking very lovingly and softly off into the distance. His beard is perfectly groomed. And uh, his skin is often pale, maybe even a little bit sickly looking. This is the loving and gentle Jesus. This is the popular image that came uh, when when many of these paintings were made, actually in the 19th century, about 100 or 150 years ago. I've never once seen a painting in a church basement of Jesus whipping animals and knocking over tables. I've just never seen it. I've never seen a portrait that shows him really tan because he walked everywhere outside in the sun. I've never seen A picture that showed his more likely dark eyes than his blue eyes. I've never seen a picture that showed his muscular frame from working with wood up until age 30. You see, we have this image of Jesus in today's reading, our gospel reading. It doesn't really fit into that image that we have. Kind of wrecks our portrait of Jesus in some ways. But I guess that is kind of the point. Jesus is not the Jesus that we make. He is the Savior that God sent. And he was a Savior who actually cared deeply about the things of God. He cared about the temple. He cared about reverence and respect. He cared about a separation between business and sacred worlds. We've all heard about the frog in the boiling pot of water. If you drop a frog into a pot of water, which is already boiling, then the frog will jump out right away. But if you place the frog into the pot of water and slowly increase the temperature, raise it ever so slightly over a long period of time, then the frog will stay right where it is. It'll think it's in a little hot tub until it's too late. Now, I don't know if that's even true, but I know that people say that. 
And the point of that story is that we tend not to react strongly to very gradual change. We don't notice it. At the temple, they did not move those animals and those money changers into those courts overnight. It did not happen all at once. I imagine they set up shop about a block down the road. And then the next Passover, they moved a little closer. And then some guy thought, well, if I get right at the doorway, then I'll, I'll get more customers. I'll sell more pigeons. And then, someone's, and then they kind of creeped in a little bit more. And then they were in the courts themselves of the temple. They encroached slowly over time. And no one noticed when they got a little bit closer year by year until they just moved right in. But Jesus noticed. For him, it was like the frog dropping right into the boiling pot of water. He had a big reaction. Because he had come from the Father. He knew the Father's holiness. He knew the intention of the temple, what it was meant for. And what he saw was a common street market. Birds chirping. Cattle lowing, mooing, whatever you want to say. Goats, I wrote bleeding. I'm not sure what goats do. And then there's hawkers yelling out prices and exchange rates. The clink of coins and the money changers. Basically, this was uh, Myeongdong right there in the temple courts. And Jesus was very angry about it. How many of you been, have been to the Catholic cathedral that's in Myeongdong, uh, on the edge of it? How many have been there? It's really large, and it's a really beautiful place, and it's also a very peaceful place. As soon as you step onto the property of the cathedral, everything changes. There's a very strong contrast. There's this quiet respect. There's this intimate, soft lighting. It's such a contrast from the shopping district that it's right next to, uh, where there's hundreds of cosmetic shops and women standing out front and they're clapping or clicking or snapping or doing anything to get your attention to come inside and buy one of their beauty masks. There are food stalls everywhere, people wearing uh, Dirty mascot outfits trying to get you to take your picture with them. Theaters, department stores with bright lights. And all of it is clamoring and saying, come inside, you know, find a little slice of happiness here. And quiet off in the corner with dim lighting is God's house. And there's a clean break, uh, as it should be. There's no encroachment, really, between these two worlds, at least not yet. We encroach because we turn things around. The way it should be is we are made in the image of God, and therefore we are to worship and honor, serve, and obey Him. That's how it's supposed to be. But we tend to turn things upside down. We like to instead create God in our image. We'd rather worship a God that suits our interests. We worship him in a way that we would like. I, I meet a lot of people that believe in God, but they don't often believe in the God of the scriptures. They don't believe in the Father. 
They believe in a God of their own making. That's the most common faith in God. And so we want to have it our way. There used to be a Burger King commercial back in the day. said, have it your way. They meant, if you want onions on your Whopper or lettuce or, or this or that, you can have it however you want it. And that's how people kind of treat God too. They want to have it their way. Let's make worship convenient. Let's make it cool. Let's make it a reflection of ourselves instead of something that looks different from us, different from everyday life. And pastors are guilty of this too. Uh, It's a bit of a temptation to look at the business world and see the success that is offered there. They read books that are written by CEOs and they think, oh, if I can just kind of apply some of these principles to church life, then maybe I'll kind of attain that sort of status. and Maybe I'll have that kind of success, maybe even a higher income. And they forget that these are two separate worlds. There's nothing wrong with business. There's nothing wrong with the market. We need that. But it's not the things of God. They're different things. It can encroach just a little bit at a time. You wouldn't notice it because it happens so slowly. But over time, small changes add up and then suddenly you have something that looks completely different from the things of God. I I think of someone maybe having a a mother or a father who's quite aged and and they said, well, just take me back to my hometown one more time. I wanna see how things look. And so you're driving down the street with this elderly mother or father and and they see all the farmland that's been turned into shopping malls and they see all the roads that went from two lanes to four lanes and they say well none of this was here when I was a kid it all looks completely different they experience decades of gradual change they experience it all at once so they can't believe their eyes when I go back to America and I speak at churches I always ask if there are any Korean War veterans. And uh, without fail, and now they're in their 80s, if I find them, they say to me something like, I hear that Seoul is all skyscrapers and bridges, and it's all built up, and that there's a lot of wealth. They said, I can't imagine Korea looking like that. They still remember Korea from 1950. 1951. They remember what it was like during the war. And they can't imagine the, the huge amount of change that has happened. Jesus came from this intimacy with the Father. Full of reverence, true understanding of the holiness of God. To this temple that was half street market. And so he became angry. Again, the people wanted God on their own terms, so when Jesus did this, then they demanded a sign. They said, if you're going to challenge the way that we're doing things, confirm your message. Give us a miracle so that we know you speak with authority. So Jesus offered them a sign. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. This was not the sign that they were looking for. This was God coming to us on his terms, 
instead of on our terms. Jesus was referring, of course, to himself. He was referring to his own body, the new temple of God, the place where God and man met, literally, where God and man are reconciled through blood offering. Jesus was demanded to give a sign, and instead he offered himself. And it was those words, actually, that sealed his fate. You may recall that it was that phrase that was entered into evidence against him at trial. Ironically, it was not the money changers or the people selling pigeons that were charged with blaspheming the temple. No, it was Jesus that was charged and convicted and sentenced to death. They said, this man said he's going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And that is really the larger point of this story. When Jesus did this, this launched him uh, more than maybe any other act. This launched him on this path of his trial, his death, and the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus was angry, it says, because he was filled with zeal for the house of God. But that zeal was not just an angry zeal. It was a zeal of love. A zeal that led him to offer the temple of his body. He gave it over for complete destruction. But still, I think there is something that we can be reminded of in what Jesus did on that day. The reminder of not demanding God conform to our image, our goals, our culture. That God not be the God of our terms and conditions. We don't demand a sign of God. We don't inject what is convenient or expect everything that works in the business world to then apply to the things of God. It may not always be obvious when we've crossed the line. It's actually quite hard to tell. It's not obvious. Because we move the line just a little bit every year, actually. Then someone has to kind of come along and turn over some tables, upset some people. These are uncomfortable scenes, but we should be open to them. Open to having someone come and challenge the way that we are doing things. And in all of this is a reminder that The church will never look wise. It won't be the most efficient. It won't be the most cool looking thing. It won't be the most effective. Especially when you're comparing it with the standards of the business world or the world in general or culture. That's because the church of God was never meant to be those things. Paul reminds us, he says, the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. Beware of church growth concepts that try to make the cross of Christ not foolish. That try to make Christianity palatable for all people at all times. More reasonable, more trendy, more convenient. The cross of Christ is ridiculous, actually. You mean that your whole world 
everything that you're about centers around a man that they executed 2,000 years ago, and you're saying he rose again from the dead. That's it. That's actually pretty much it. That's the Christian faith. You should follow him too, I would say. It is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is life. It is salvation. So the season of Lent here is full of some of these difficult scenes. Uncomfortable scenes. I think if I was uh, actually with Jesus on the day that he cleansed the temple, I would have been quite embarrassed, I think. I would have been clenching my teeth and saying, oh, oh, what's teacher doing? And uh, maybe as he turns over a table, I kind of walk over and gently pick it back up and put it in its place and maybe brush it off a little bit. Sorry, everybody. It's awkward. Many of the scenes in Lent are awkward. Many of the scenes make us uncomfortable. They make us uncomfortable because sins lay exposed for everyone to see. But all of it is leading to the joy of Easter. All of it is leading to that moment where the women see the empty tomb and they go running back to the other disciples and with their eyes full of tears, they say, we have seen the risen Lord. That's what this is leading up to. But for now, we're in Lent. We're in the awkwardness. We're in the difficultness. And so we... We make that journey. That's part of what we do. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.